Right, we're going to start where we um, start this evening, Psalm 73. Um, we'll refer to a fair few scriptures, but we're going to start here as we talk a little bit more about, about prayer this evening. Um, we've been talking about this idea of transforming prayer and putting our place in a, uh, a place where uh, we have a a vital, vibrant prayer life. Um, the Bible speaks of, of prayer as being a, a powerful resource, and uh, we, we want to believe that an essential part of growing in our spiritual life and communion with God. Um, Brendan, I'm going to need your help tonight. For some reason, I'm not connecting here. So if I just tell you when to click a slide, can you do that for me? Thank you. All right. Um, all right. So what I should probably do first is, so many of you, and I know a lot of you have gotten the email this week with the, the website and all. Let me explain. So it'll look a little bit like, like that. Now you'll notice the reason I sent you the link from Faith Life um, so that you could sign up is so that you can use a portion of it. So at the top, so this is the web-based version. In the middle is a thing that says connect. Now if you click on that connect thing, if you're signed in, it's going to take you to another page, which I'll show you in just a sec. If it's on the mobile device, then it's usually on the little, I think the top right-hand corner with the drop-down menu is there and it'll have connect. Um, and that'll give you a list of options. Can you go to the next slide for me? Oh, that's the one there. When you click connect, when you're signed in, it'll take you to a page that looks like this. Um, so this is just a snapshot I took of mine this afternoon. Um, you can set it up kind of how you want with a number of things. But what I really wanted to show you was right at the top, under where it says news there, there's a number of, of little things. One of them says post, one of them says prayer. Uh, there's um, for sale, but let's not try and sell each other stuff. That's just part of what it is. Um, and there's announcements and things like that. So the idea is, so it's a place where, so once you click into there, it becomes a private zone. Uh, you then have a little more flexibility about who gets to see what. So for instance, uh, while I was testing it out last week, I put up a couple of prayer requests uh, of some things that were going just to test it out. And uh, so today when Christopher Mendoza logged on, he saw I put on there, pray for the Mendoza family. And he replied to that and said, we're doing okay. So it's a chance, because at the moment, we've got people who are away or illness and things constantly changing, that there's one way where if you've got something going on, rather than having to go to Facebook and email and message, there's at least one place where everybody knows the information will be there. And then, of course, we can pass it out other places. So it's not we're not going to use everything else. But this seems because there's a lot of people who just don't use Facebook. Um, some people don't like apps. Some people like things. So this is great. If you've got something to pray for, whatever, you know, you can put it on there and people will see it. And I'll see it. And then if it needs to be passed in other places, I can, I can do that. So it's just a way that we can try and connect a little bit while we're a little bit more spread out. We'll see how it, how it works. You know, if it works, we may make it a, a long-term thing, but we'll, we'll just see how it, how it goes. 
get familiar with it a little bit over the next few weeks and, and see what happens. You'll also find on the, the website, it's got what's going on, so you can click and there's a calendar. So like we used to post the calendar, uh, the exact same thing is on the website. And you can click on it and see all the details of what happens. If you're an app person, you like the apps, uh, if you download either from you know, the app, Apple Store or the Google Play Store, the Faith Life app, the Faith Life app, you can log in and see everything there. The website's on there, the announcements are on there, the calendar's on there. So if you're an app person and you just want to have the app, you can find everything on the app. But I know some people like apps, some people don't. Um, but that's how it will, will work. So that's what I'm trying. I am trying my best to keep everything as normal as possible in a world where everything just seems to keep changing. Now let's get focused into to prayer again tonight. And um, you can just flick to that next slide for now. Thank you, uh, Brendan. And then I'll ask for the next one in just, just a moment. So you know, we, we talk about prayer and how, how essential it is to, to our lives and, and what it means for us to be a people of prayer. You know, even Jesus said when uh, he walked into the temple and saw them selling and, and the just the, the horrible things they were doing in there and desecration to the name of God. He says, my house should be known as a house of prayer. Uh, so prayer is something which has to be uh, a definitive part of who we, we are. And when we read the Bible, we see prayer acting in such vigorous and powerful ways. Uh, and we want to know how can we have prayer lives that are active and vibrant and lively. And so we're starting. Next week we're going to jump into some of the more practical bits. So we're going to talk about you know, um, what does it mean to abide and what does that practically mean? To abide in Christ and how does that affect our prayer? We're going to talk about what the name of God means in terms of how we pray. And these all have very practical things that will apply. So tonight we're, just, we're finishing this idea of this foundation of what it means to truly pray, and to have an attitude of genuine prayer. And that's often I have questions and things people ask, so if you have a question you can ask, but I don't have a lot tonight in terms that I'll ask you. Um, we've been saying, and we're going to develop this just a little bit more tonight as we go through, but we've been saying that true prayer is about seeking the face of God, not just his hand, which has meant seeking God himself before we seek what he can do uh, and his actions. And that's what we want to think just a little bit more about tonight. And then we're going to start to develop that out and see what it looks like and how it practically applies. Uh, so let's, let's start. I'm going to focus a little bit more on one of these verses a little more. But let's start in Psalm 73 and verse 25. So the psalmist Asaph here says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. 
I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Uh, let's just have a moment of prayer as we continue. Our, our Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to place our attention on getting to know you and what it means to know you more fully, more wholly, and how that changes not just our understanding of you, but our understanding of the entire world, our understanding of, of everything. Lord, help us to deepen our prayer lives, to, to change the depth of our relationship with you as we pursue you more passionately. Thank you in Jesus' name for this opportunity. Amen. Um, just, just quickly, so we put it in context, does anybody know what Psalm 73 is about? So Psalm 73 is written by Asaph. Asaph is uh, wondering, well, he's more than wondering. He is questioning God. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous always suffer? And as you get to the middle of the psalm, he comes to the point where he says, I, I struggled so deeply with this question, so deeply with what I saw. Everything in the world seemed to be the opposite of what God said. Everybody who was wicked seemed to prosper, and everybody who was righteous just seemed to suffer their whole life. And because of what I saw differed from what God told me, I almost fell from the faith. And then, by the time he gets to the end and he wrestles with this with, this, with God, that's where he comes to the verses we just read. Whom have I in heaven but thee? To the final verse where he says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in you, I will declare your wonderful works. And we're going to see in just a moment how this ties in, what this means about what we're, we're talking about. But we've been talking about, about prayer, and in, in some ways what holds us back from the type of prayer that we want to have and that we desire to have. And we need to consider some of those things. What is it that is keeping me from that? What is in my life that's holding me back from the prayer that, that I should have? Because very often, the, the unfulfilling prayer life we have, you know, for, for some, having a sort of a, a prayer life which is just what it is, is just part of life, and we just get used to it, and we go on with it, and we think, well, that's just the way it is, I guess I'm just not a prayer person. And we get used to it, and we live with it. For others, though, the, you know, much like the psalmist here, we... We see what God says prayer is supposed to be like. And then we look at life in the world and we look at our own life of prayer and well, it doesn't match up. And not only does it draw us to go, well, yeah, well, but for some, it pushes us further to doubt. Say, well, if this is what God said it should be, but this is what I'm experiencing, well, is God really telling me the truth? And we doubt if any of what God has is done, and it can be a real uh, impetus to push people out of the faith, as it were, if they were in it, as it, you might think. It can often make us feel like we're distant from God. And that's why I want us to listen for a moment to these words of Asaph in verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. He has a progression there. So he says, it's good for me. What is good for me? What is good for me? He says, 
is what is good for me? It is good for me to draw near to God. So essentially he gets to this point and he says, it doesn't matter what happens around me. It doesn't matter what the happens with the, the wicked or the righteous around me. It's good for me to draw near to God. Then there's a natural progression from that. It is good for me to draw near to God. And in drawing near to God, I will put my trust in him. Notice, then, that the very last part of his statement is about the works of God. So he says, essentially what we've been saying the last couple of weeks, he starts with, what is the starting point? Draw near to God. Find your trust in him, and then you will see his works, and you will declare his praises because of what he's done. There's that natural progression which goes through. Now, Brendan, if you can put that slide up for me, the next one, please. I'm going to try and answer the question a little bit. What, what is it we've really been talking about? How does, it, how does it work? So, why seek God's face before his hand? You know, often when we, we think about investigating things, we, we have those questions, the who, what, when, where, why, how questions. Right? So we're going pretty... I'm, I'm, not delving deep, let's, let's look at it at a fairly straightforward level here. And let's consider prayer in that regard. So I've divided this, and you can see the top line, which divides the who from the what, when, where, why, and how. And the reason I've divided those is because most of our prayer focuses on the what, when, where, why, and how parts of things. So we're asking God for things. We're seeking God for something. We're uh, wanting God to do work. So most of our prayer is spent on those five areas of consideration. And in those five areas of consideration, we, we might put it like this. We're asking things like, like what I need. So we've got our list of, of needs and concerns and problems. And sometimes we don't even know what we need. We know we're in trouble and we know we have issues, but we don't exactly know what we need. But we know we need something or the people around us need something. And so we're asking God for what I need. This is what I need, God, from you. And so we'll spend a significant amount of our prayer time talking about the what I need from God. And then there's the, the when. Right? There's another question we ask God a lot. When, God, when is it going to end? When are you going to answer? When am I going to see this? When, God, when is it coming? So the questions of, of God and asking him, when, where? God, I've, I've told you, you know what my problem is. Where is the answer coming from? Where should I look? Where is, where, from where does my help come from? Where is the answer going to be? Where am I going to find the wisdom I need to be? God, show me where. Uh, or the, the why. Right? Now there's another big one, right? Maybe the one we spend another most of our time on after what is why. Why, God, is this happening? Why have you allowed this to happen? Why is this happening? Why isn't this happening? Why, God, haven't you answered yet? Why? 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 And then, of course, the how. How can this possibly be God's will? How long, Lord, will it last? I mean, you can probably fill that out with so many different ways that we ask God how. 
how is this going to happen? And so we will spend a significant amount of our prayer time asking God in one form or another something that falls somewhere in those five issues. Now, of course, we've been saying from the very beginning, it's not wrong to ask God things, and we're going to see a lot more of, about how to ask God as we go through. It's not wrong to ask God for things, because he's called us to ask him to pursue him. But I think you'll agree with me if you think through some of these things. Uh, and if you can go to the, the next slide for me, uh, please. The answer to a lot of those questions is, I don't know. I don't know. You're, we're going to be praying for things and asking God uh, for these things. And you know, say, how, God, is this, this your will? I don't know. I don't know. Why, God, did you let this happen? I don't know. When is it going to end? don't know. And, you know, the answer, I don't know, is okay. You know, when, when, uh, when my son died, and my, my two girls were just little, Esther, it affected Esther because she was so small differently than Anaya. But then as they grow up, they begin to ask, Dad, why? Why did that happen? And the only answer I had for them, the only answer I still have for them is, I don't know. I don't know. And there's a thousand questions like that, that we ask God, where we're just not going to know the answer. And we may never, ever know the answer. But you know, even though the answer to any of those questions might be, I don't know, even the answer to that is, I don't know, I can still have a strong, growing, vital faith and still say, I don't know the answer to those things. I don't know when God's going to answer that prayer. I don't know why God did it. I don't know how he's going to work. I don't know. And I can say, I don't know to all of those things and still believe God deeply. Can you go to the next slide, please, for me, Brendan? This is my last slide. Where we get in real trouble is if we say, I don't know, to the top. Who? Who is the one who is in control of this? Who is the one who knows what he's doing? Who is the God that I say I am praying to? Now, I can say, I don't know, to all of those other questions. But if I say, I don't know, to the top question, that's when my faith falters. That's when I lose, because I haven't gotten to know the God I'm praying to. And that's why this idea of seeking God's face first is so important. Because if I don't know who I'm calling on, who I'm talking to, it doesn't matter what the answer to the other questions are. My faith will falter. So if I spend all of my prayer time, if my prayer time becomes this, this place where I go to prayer and my first and most focused aspect is I need to ask God for all of these things. I need to come to God because I have needs, I have issues, I have problems, and the people around me do. And I never come to just worship. Then I'm never finding the answer to who. 
and I'm never really finding the answer to the any other or satisfaction. And that is where our dissatisfaction and prayer come from. Because we're not developing the who. Can you see how Asa's progression is working now? From the beginning, it's good for me to draw near to God. And in drawing near to God, I put my trust in him. And that's where I see his wonderful works, even when I don't understand. The promises of prayer are true, even when we don't experience them. So everything God promises about prayer, that it is powerful, that he answers prayer, that when we ask in his will, he will do those things. All of those are true, even when we don't experience them. So what is it that keeps us from knowing prayer as God intends? Then these parts we might speed through a little bit and to get to the, the last part. But one of the things that's keeping us, I think, from knowing prayer like we should be is just the nature of spiritual warfare. The nature of spiritual warfare. We are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 tells us about, uh, about that. That's why God gives us the, uh, the, the armor of God which includes prayer, all prayer. Prayer is an intense area of spiritual warfare. It's a famous uh, quote um, from the old preacher Samuel Chadwick. But he says, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when... We pray. So, you know, the devil doesn't really have to do a lot to fight this battle, to be honest, does he? All he has to do is just keep us distracted. He doesn't have to know what's in my mind. He doesn't even have to know what I struggle with necessarily. He just has to keep us distracted. Keep us on our, our phones and our devices or at work or wherever, and we're distracted and we don't pray. So all he has to do is keep us distracted, and he wins that battle. He, and when that happens, it feeds our doubts. So the doubts we have grow. And it keeps us from praying. We doubt. We don't pray. We don't pray. We doubt. And the hole gets deeper and deeper. Prayer represents everything Satan hates. Because prayer brings glory to God. Prayer uplifts the people of God. And prayer advances God's kingdom. Prayer does all of those things, which is everything that is the, the opposite of what Satan desires. So prayer is at the heart of our spiritual battle. So when we're losing, if you will, that spiritual battle, it's, it's having a deep effect. Maybe one of the things that's holding us back is not just the spiritual warfare, but maybe it's this idea of a, a fear of intimacy. And maybe that comes from the relationships we've experienced or whatever, but it often comes from a wrong view or understanding of who God is. Right? So because we haven't spent enough time on the who, we don't know who God is well enough, and so we get into those places, right, don't we, very often where we sin and we think, well, I can't go to God now. I've done the same thing again. I can't go to God. Those are doubts 
built on a misunderstanding of who God is. That's why we need to know the who. Because God calls us to himself and he promises to listen. Psalm 73, 28, which we've read a couple of times tonight. Hebrews 10, verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Draw near with a full heart and full assurance of faith. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God. Who knows how, what the next part of that? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So it doesn't say draw near to God and God will listen from a distance. Draw near to God, God draws near to you. Remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. What do you say? Come to me with whatever is weighing you down, with whatever is causing you anxiety and trouble and pain, I will give you rest. He's calling us to himself. Maybe what's keeping us uh, from this and, and blocking these, these times of prayer is a misguided focus a misguided focus. So we've said a, a spiritual warfare, a fear of intimacy, and a misguided focus. Have you ever heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves? It's rubbish. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. God helps those who can't help themselves. That's what God is. So when we, when we have that idea that God helps those who help themselves in one form or another, if we don't say it like that. What does that work out as? That works out as, I'm going to do everything I can first, and when that doesn't work, I'll pray. When I've come to the end of everything I can, then I can go to God and say, God, I've done everything I possibly can. I have worked hard to do what I need. I've worked. I've tried to help myself. And then God will say, okay, well, you've tried and you couldn't do it, so I'll help you. So that just puts us in that mindset that prayer is the last option, not the first. And that's not a good place to be on. And often it puts us in a place where we think of our will done on earth and not his. Right, well, I know what needs to be done, and I know how I want it done, so I'm going to get it done. And when I can't get it done, I'll ask God to do it for me the way I want it done. God can refocus our prayers with powerful results. The, the fourth one is uh, a counterproductive tradition. And we've talked a little bit about this and maybe some of the, the bad ways and the bad habits that we have brought into our life which are, are hindering us from seeing prayer, getting into those, those ruts of things, which can lead to which the fifth one is, which is boredom. We just get bored of prayer. Because we're not experiencing a... a a vibrant prayer life, which is satisfying. And remember I said at the beginning, this isn't about every time I go to prayer that I have this spiritual high. It's that I'm satisfied with God. And when I'm not satisfied with, with God, then I, then, I, then I get bored. And when I get bored, I just don't do it. So I think, well, why, why bother? The sixth one is a lack of positive models. Uh, one man said it this way, prayer happens by infection. We learn to pray from one another. When we get close to people who pray, genuinely pray, and we learn 
and we find influence from them. Part of true discipleship is praying with others, seeking God with others. Now, there is one question here. and, and So when, when these barriers remain up, so when, when we have these issues in our life and, and we allow them to, to stay in our lives, whether it be any of these things or, or something entirely different, what happens when these barriers remain up? What happens to our prayer life? It takes. We give up. We give up, don't we? Well, my prayers never seem to work, so I just won't do it. Okay, well, clearly, I'm just, I just don't have the gift of prayer. There is no gift of prayer. It's for, for all. But we give up because we feel frustrated and inadequate. So we need to find a way to, to break through these things. Prayer is intensely personal. Look at this deeply personal thing. But it is not exclusively personal. This, this prayer should be very personal, we should pray, but it shouldn't be the only thing we do. We only do it on our own. We learn and we grow by praying with others and praying in the company of, of others. So much of the Bible's teaching on prayer is in a church context. You read through the book of Acts, right? We look at the book of Acts and think, well, what an amazing time of history. God worked mightily. And it is a unique time in history, right? God worked differently in that time than he did in any other time in history. But there are some things which he does in Acts that he continues to do. And one of them is the way prayer works. So you look from the beginning of Acts all the way through, and you find in uh, places like Acts chapter 1. So when the, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come, where are the disciples? They're in the upper room together, Pray. So the church is together and they're praying. Later on, when uh, in, well, in, in Acts chapter 3, we find it again. Let me find that for you. So Acts chapter 3. So Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. Peter and John says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. What were Peter and John doing then when they met him? The two of them, together, were going to pray. They were on their way to pray together. Acts chapter 4 and uh, verse 24, uh, well, verse 23, it says, And being let go, and that, that's Peter and John from their imprisonment, being let go, they went to their own company, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And it goes on. So what happens? The church is gathered together. They hear the, the wonderful works of God. And together they, they pray. Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison. And it's one of the great stories of Acts, isn't it? Peter's in prison. An angel comes and lets him out, and he makes his way to find the people, and uh, the, the servant comes to the door, Rhoda, and it's Peter there, and nobody believes that Peter's there, but they are all in there praying for Peter to be released. The church is together praying. So almost every time in Acts where it mentions prayer, it mentions prayer in community. 
the church is not just praying separately, the church is praying together in community. This is something that we need to deeply learn. We come, I don't, I don't know why it is, um, but you see it everywhere. It's, it's not this church, it's not another church, it's every church. It's every Christian. We have this idea that of fear to pray in front of people. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid to pray. And we've got we've to break through that. And that's something we, we all have to come to grips with. Say, I, I'm not going to be afraid to pray with my brothers and sisters. Which means also that on the other side there's that I'm not going to make anybody afraid to pray in front of me. I'm going to be someone you can pray with. Because there's vitality in praying together. True prayer, and I think this might be a fill in, in that note. True prayer can change us personally and corporately. True prayer can change us as individuals, but true prayer changes churches too, as it changes us individually. Let's think a little bit. If you have questions or things you want to stop and talk about, by all means, stop me. Um, we come to this idea of FaceTime with God. The, the idea of FaceTime with God is the powerful presence of God. And this is where we get to that statement I've said before, this is the heart of prayer, not getting things from God, but getting God. Getting God himself. Why, why do we feel dissatisfied with our poor prayer life and then satisfied when our prayer life is good? What makes good prayer life satisfying? Uh, I think John MacArthur says it well in his book on prayer alone with God. He says, since the ultimate purpose of our salvation is to glorify God and to bring us into intimate, rich, fellowship with him, failure to seek God in prayer is to deny that purpose. Because what's our ultimate purpose? To know God and to enjoy him forever. If I'm not doing that, of course I'm not going to be satisfied with my prayer life. If I'm not using my prayer life to know God. The idea of, of God's face in the Bible, of course God doesn't have a face because God is a spirit. It's simply there to represent his holy, intimate presence. That he is there with us personally and intimately. Um, God is present in this world. He is present in his, his believers, deeply present. And he calls us to an intimate encounter. Here we, um, we in the you know, sort of conservative parts of, of Christianity get a little bit anxious when we talk about spirit-led. Our prayers need to be spirit-led. We can't be afraid of terms like that. You go, well, I, I, I can't live in my right. I've got, to, I've got to find scripture and let the spirit enliven scripture in me and lead me into true prayer. We need his face to shine upon us. One of my favorite scriptures, and, and we read it often because of its, its beauty and, and what it has for us. Numbers 6. Numbers 6 in verse 24. It's one of the great benedictions and doxologies of, of Scripture. Uh, we read it often at the end of, of services um, and in times of need. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. 
Lord make this face to shine upon us? Could there be a more beautiful blessing to ask on somebody than that? That God's face shines upon us. The Lord lift his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Those are some of the most magnificent words of scripture. If you want to pray a blessing on somebody, that's it. Ask God to do that in their life. That his face would shine upon them. So let's get to this, this last part that God is transforming you in prayer. We read these passages of scripture um, not so long ago in the service in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, which is Paul relating a passage from Exodus chapter 34 when he was on uh, Mount Sinai getting the, the Ten Commandments and he comes down and his face is glowing and he puts a, a veil over his face because the people are afraid to look at him. And Paul uses that as an illustration. He says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech and not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the description, Moses gets up and he sees the glory of God. And he comes down with this shining face. Now maybe you can remember, if not, you can find it in Exodus 19, around about verse 16. When the people are at the bottom of the mountain, so Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai and he's getting it, and he sees the glory of God and he comes down with a face shining because he's close with God and he's having communion with God. The people are at the bottom of the mountain and they're getting anxious and they end up building their golden calf. Do you remember, what does the presence of God look like from a distance? So from the bottom of the mountain, when they look up the mountain and see God at the top of the mountain, what does it describe like? Can anybody remember? So it describes it as they look up to the top of the mountain and see the presence of God, lightning and thundering. So from a distance, the presence of God looks terrifying. But Moses is in the middle of it. Moses is near God. And Moses sees God's goodness and his grace and his glory. And he comes down with a face that shines. Because he's near God. The people notice his face when they come down and they are afraid by that because the presence of God left a real mark. The same was true of the disciples with Jesus. It left a mark on them being near Jesus. So Paul uses this to illustrate a New Testament truth. Moses' face is an illustration of the law. You know, he had to cover it. So the veil covers it. It hides the glory. But in Jesus, that veil is taken away. We see God for who he truly is. We find genuine freedom. We are called by the Spirit into a new covenant. And the result of the freedom, the result of the law being passed and Christ coming in and making us free is 
Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Because of Christ and the presence of the Spirit, we are free. We're freed from sin. We're freed from the law. We're freed from condemnation. And we're freed from the distance that separates us from God, which means I don't need a Moses and I don't need a priest. Every believer in Christ has free, full, bold access to God. I don't need to be afraid to go to Him. Every believer can experience face-to-face communion with God. Can experience what it is like to be in the presence of God. We talk about, about giving God glory and giving Christ glory. One of the best ways I've heard glory described because glory literally means to magnify. One of the best ways I've heard this glory described is this. We can talk about magnify like a like a microscope. So what does a microscope do? A microscope takes things that are really, really little and makes them look bigger than what they are. Or we can talk about it like a telescope. What does a telescope do? A telescope takes things that are really far away and really big look more like what they actually are. So to glorify God doesn't mean to magnify him like a telescope. To glorify God means to magnify God like, sorry, like, not like a microscope, but to glorify God like a telescope. That is, to make God look more like what he actually is. That's what to glorify God really is. And so with the Spirit, says here we're being transformed from glory to glory that is today christ has done something in my life and made me more like him and he's going to take me from there to there to there to there so that with each step he's molding me to become more like christ that happens as we spend time with god in his word and in prayer that's where it happens it doesn't happen because I just wander about life hoping God's going to teach me something, it happens because I get to know the who. Spending time in his word and prayer. So we need to transform our thinking. What is it that we are giving God? What is it that he deserves? Rethink our practices a little bit in these things, and that's what we're going to be doing. We're not asking ourselves, and we're not going through this to say that prayer is entirely different. We just need to refocus. What is it that I'm doing with my prayer life that needs to change? Sure, there's probably a lot of really good things in our prayer life that need to stay. But we all have some bad habits that we need refocusing so that we spend less time on God, what? And spend more time than what we have been on the who. Sometimes the what do I need to pray about can strangle our prayer time. We come to it and say, all right, what do I need to pray about? And then we zone in on that. What we're going to find is, how about I spend a little bit of time on the who? But I find out what the Bible says about who God is, and then let the who inform me 
prayer is knowing God. That's what's at the heart of prayer. Knowing God. It's an integral part of our growing relationship. Prayer is so much more than just a duty to fulfill. So much more than just what we have to do. It can become something that we actually love to do. We love to do. So let's let's aim, let's grow to be a people 